0: support for the game podcast is brought to you by starcitygames.com the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web if you would like to support the game podcast feel free to check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash the g a m podcast everyone, welcome to the 73rd episode of the game podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson here with Brian Plague Bearer Gottlieb. What is up, man?
1: I've got a full case of the plague. I I had strep throat all week and normally this would just be straight terrible news. Obviously no one wants to be sick, but I missed a bunch of work. And obviously I spent all that time playing Magic Online and enjoying this sweet new format. So, you know, it's kind of a little bit of an upside for me, a little bit of an upside for our listeners. Only my health really suffered in this equation. And I'm starting to make a comeback. So I, I anticipate I'll be able to make it through this cast. If my voice just gives out, I want you to carry on without me, Jerry. Don't come back for me. Just push on to the end. I'll be okay.
0: I'll do my best, man. Um <laughs> I don't know. I I think I'll probably end up talking a lot on this cast, so I guess that helps.
1: Good. Good timing. Good timing for that, definitely.
0: All right. Well, first and foremost, uh, we are basically at the second stretch goal for the Patreon, so that is awesome. Thank everyone just so much. Yeah. Insane. So that means I'm going to be ordering some playmats very soon for the wonderful folks in the Mox Diamond tier, which I'm very excited about.
1: Yeah, I got to give props to those Mox Diamond people. I mean, not that I don't give props to all of our Patreons. We're incredibly grateful for every single one of you, but – the Mox Diamond tier is putting out an incredible financial contribution to this cast and making sure we're able to to do this cast every single week and really devote a lot of energy to it. So I got to give props to those guys and gals. Uh, it is incredibly appreciated. And I'm happy we're going to be able to provide you guys with some sweet looking play, mats soon.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I just echo everything that you just said, basically. And I just kind of want to thank everyone by name. And I'm not going to you know use full names or anything, just first names, just in case, right? Good idea. Okay, good job, lawyer guy. That was your idea. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you, everyone, uh, every single one of the patrons. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun in uh, the Discord with all the new members and everything, but especially the Mox Diamond folks, uh, Johnny, Charles, Blake, Hunter, Robert, Alex, John, Matt, Jason, Stephen, Matthew, and Brent. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, a hundred times. Thank you. It's, It's such a cool thing that you guys do for us. You know, now that we've hit this second stretch goal, which, like, I kind of thought would be something we'd do some longer distance of time from now, now we're in range of that third stretch goal, which is an actual extra episode of the game podcast every single month starting starting to get in range where it could be a possibility five episodes a month are you ready for that dude i'm just going that hard yeah me too i I don't think we'll have any trouble filling the fifth episode since we we tend to have to cut ourselves off every week anyway and you know i think we've talked about a bunch of cool things we could do with that episode either a special guest every week or excuse me every month or limited reviews is something we've talked about too you know we've kind of shied away from limited content but we get that extra episode in every month everything's on the table we can do whatever you guys want so definitely something to look at out for in the future
0: yeah and uh we're always willing to accept feedback too so like get at us on twitter or facebook or whatever and just like let us know what y'all would like to see for sure anyway uh last week's episode tentatively well not tentatively it was titled this uh the scare of god is unplayable which i thought was an excellent title brad nelson took issue with which is too bad but it hasn't been shown up in very many spots and you know i think we did a pretty good job of explaining why. That seems to be like trending the opposite direction a little bit like, you know, the Scarab God's price is rising on magic online. I'm like watching some streams. I'm battling in the queues and I'm seeing it a little bit more often, which, you know, kind of makes sense a little bit. But, you know, what what's your take on this? Are you still not very hot on this card? still not hot on it. Even
1: even saying the Scarab God was unplayable, we knew eventually Scarab God was going to show up again, right? We talked about the cyclical nature of the format. It only makes sense that the Scarab God would return to some prominence. It's still not where I want to be, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to pick up the Scarab God anytime soon. I still think there's a lot better things you could be doing in this format. But yeah, Scarab God will be back. It's funny how. Personal. Some people took our bashing of the scarab god like they were a close personal friend of the scarab god, or maybe a worshipper of the scarab god. Some people really got up in a tizzy that we were putting down scarab god this aggressively.
0: Well, it's it's like Kevin Jones and, and us putting down Raf Capassion, right?
1: I know I had such sick burns to to send Kevin's way, and I resisted. I couldn't do so because you know he's. He can point to the scoreboard right now. He had a very nice finish with Raph. I still believe it's unplayable. So I'll save the burns for now. But once Raph disappears from the metagame, I have them all stocked right up here, Kevin. They're coming for you. Don't worry.
0: Well, the the thing about unplayable is that, like, that's just a misnomer, right? Like, right. It's a mag- complete hyperbole. Yeah. Magic magic is completely cyclical. And, like, every card doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like, it's, it's all a product of what surrounds it. So at some point it's like there, there is going to be a time or potentially a time when something like Raf compassion actually just is like the perfect card for that slot. Like the, the thing that I see Raf doing potentially uh, especially moving forward is like setting up Urza's ruinous blast.
1: That seems like a reasonable use of the card. And I also think there's a possibility that if, Blue White became, you know, the very focal point of the meta game uh, in the control form. Maybe taking a quicker approach with something like Raph, being able to do more on your opponent's end step, could also be the way to go. You're exactly right. We say the card's unplayable. We mean unplayable in this moment, to be more clear. Right. And, uh, I still stick by the moment we were doing that cast. Scarab God was completely and totally unplayable in that one moment.
0: I agree. I agree. So things that have happened this week tell me tell me about your week i guess cuz you spent a lot of time battling i also did i can talk about my experience a little bit but what's going on on your side of moto things
1: Well, you know, I wanted to spend this week, you know, if you listened to the cast last week, you know, I'm totally into blue-white control. I think it's a great deck, but I know that that deck has a shelf life. It won't last forever. And it's not like I only want to play that deck going forward. So I really wanted to get in reps with most of the big players this week. Uh, I was able to do so. I experimented a little bit as well, but I I played stuff like basically the green-white PTQ-ish list, but splashing for Teferi. I played some black-white vehicles. I played a little bit larger version of the black white deck, really just getting a good broad base. With the format. I even played some mono red with fight with fire and every deck was like, fine. I didn't hate anything. I fired off a lot of three twos, a lot of five O's with the blue white deck, a lot of three twos with everything else. So everything seems playable and you know, there's room for tuning, there's room for improving. I think basically all of the tier one, tier 1.5 tier two decks have potential. There's nothing there where I'm just like, this deck is gross. I don't understand why it's being played. Besides Raf, of course, you know, we've already talked about that. Yeah. But everything else has potential and can, uh, with a little tuning, take a hold of the metagame on a week-to-week basis.
0: Yeah, I think so too. So uh, last week, I was pretty high on white-black vehicles. Since then, I've got kind of just been doing like what you were doing, where you're just like experimenting with a bunch of stuff. Like I I hopped in a couple leagues with like the mono green aggro deck just to kind of get that out of my system. Absolutely hated it. And I've been playing a lot of constructs lately, which maybe we could talk about a little bit, but if not, like I'm gonna write about that this week. But yeah, like we we basically picked White Black as the deck that had the greatest chance of succeeding this weekend and you know, kinda called it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I mean the deck won the classic. It was omnipresent at top tables throughout the weekend. And obviously in a team tournament, we always talk about this. You got to pump the brakes a little bit. You can't really derive all that much from a team tournament, but it's telling that a lot of the best players in the field chose to pick up white black. And I think rightfully so, a great choice for this past weekend.
0: Yeah. Uh, Heart of Kieran still doing good work against blue eye control. I think Magic Online is a little bit ahead of real life where Blue White Control seems to be on the downtrend online, at least, as people are picking up more and more decks that have a reasonable matchup against it. But in real life, it was just like, you know, people were kind of just like playing the deck from last week, right? It was like a tournament happens, they they copy the Blue White decks, and they're like, all right, I'm ready. And then uh, the Lotus Box folks that basically all arrived at White Black Vehicles also just kind of dismantled them. Like uh, Blue White Control, I don't remember how many copies it put in top eight, maybe one or two, but White Black Vehicles had four copies, so...
1: There is quite a few copies in the classic, I know, uh, definitely strewn throughout the top 16. There's four copies in the top 16 in the classic. I'm kind of looking at those results a little bit more than the team results, just because I think they're more telling, but obviously the field is a little bit tougher in the team tournament. So hard to say exactly where we want to pull our data from, but blue-white control is still present. I'd still call white-black the deck for this weekend.
0: Yeah. uh, So the two blue-white decks in top eight of the team tournament were both mid-range decks. Okay. And then there were two blue-white control decks in Modern.
1: Yeah, maybe let's just do a quick hit on this. I want to get your take on the blue-white control deck in Modern because you see what card's being played there, right?
0: Uh, Is it Teferi?
1: It is Teferi over Jace the Mind Sculptor. And there's a lot of people who are saying that's no accident. They say the card is better than Jace the Mind Sculptor in the blue-white and blue-white-red control archetypes in Modern.
0: Well, both these blue-white decks actually have Jace and no Teferi. It was like the Jeskai decks that were playing Teferi.
1: Okay, so maybe Teferi's in the team tournament then.
0: But I, I know one of the top eight
1: blue-white decks is a Teferi deck, and I've seen this conversation going around in other places. It's definitely supplanting Jace in some versions of control,
0: right Yeah, Kazu Negri has two Teferi's and no Jace's in his Jess deck.
1: Right. Right.
0: And the the rationale is that like in modern, having a planeswalker that effectively costs three mana because like you play it, you draw a card and you get to untap two and have like a logic not open. It's maybe like a lot more powerful than in standard, just because like your interaction is so much cheaper. Like you can Teferi untap lands and have like a lightning bolt and a path open, right? Where like you can't do that in standard.
1: Yeah, I I see the basis. It I don't know. I I balked when I saw this. I was like, look, I'm the biggest Teferi believer out there. And even this seems like a stretch to me because you know how the story goes. Jace the Mind Sculptor better than all, but maybe not better than Teferi in modern. I'm starting to come around to this way of thinking where just Especially Logic not like having a two mana hard counter spell on your Teferi turn, that's a big difference maker for sure. And you know, these decks are also playing Search, so it gets the same Teferi Search interaction, which if you've done it in Standard, you know that's powerful enough for Modern. It definitely translates over. Yeah. So I don't know. This could be the way forward for Control in Modern.
0: Well, also in Kazu's sideboard, he has two copies of Damping Sphere, so I'm off it.
1: So now you just discredit everything he's done. Yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's just all questionable at this point.
1: He's bringing those in with his click. He understands that he has to present a clock when he's using Damping Sphere. I'm sure of it. I trust in him.
0: All right. We'll see how many lightning bolts he keeps in. (laughs) Kevin Jones, top four of the Classic with Blue-White Historic. Another player with Blue-White Historic. And then one Blue-White Control. So, looks like Blue-White is trending more towards like this mid-range shell. It is floating that way, for sure. Just like a little bit better... Or not not necessarily better, but just like doesn't fold as hard to the cards that are good against blue-white control. Like part of Kirin is generally like a very, very big problem. But like the, the historic decks have like Merfolk Trickster and generally more Planeswalkers and can actually like race you or attack around it. You know, it's like they're not trying to play like this super long game where they just counter or kill everything.
1: Right. How are their Lyras ever surviving though? Like I, I just don't get it. It just seems like they just die all the time.
0: It's, it's tough, man. It's like, so when you're on the white black side of things, just as an example, and you have this card that does nothing except kill a Lyra. Like how many of those do you think you can draw per game? Like if, if you have a setup with like treasure map, Lifecrafters, Bestiary, or Argyle's Bloodfast to the point where like drawing a dead card doesn't actually matter. But like if blue white actually removes the things that like allow you to keep pace with them, then you drawing a dead card is just a serious detriment. And plus they can always just like play it when they have like s- pseudo control over the game. Either they've drawn a bunch of cards and have like two Lyra's or they have Lyra plus counterspell. And, you know, it's it's like actually just kind of, it puts you in a bad spot.
1: I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to continue to short this historic deck until it shows me some strategic angle that I can be like, yes, now I finally get the purpose of this deck. I don't see it yet. I think its cards are fairly underpowered. I think people like playing this style of Magic, and I think that's why it, it's getting points as it stands.
0: Oh yeah, people are trying really hard to make this work. Like when you're putting Murfolk Trickster in your deck,
1: right? And I just think there's a piece missing. Like you're missing the Delver, and obviously that's a huge thing to be missing. Like that's a huge game swinger. But if if this was a Spell Pierce deck, and by the way, Spell Pierce is a card which. Feels underplayed to me right now, but the problem isn't Within spell pierce itself, it's the cards surrounding spellpierce. Like you need to be able to present a delverish clock if you're going to be spell piercing. Nothing's really doing that right now. And that's why we're not seeing any spell pierce. But if you just think about a, a deck that could effectively assert itself in the early turns of the game and how many four, five, and even three mana cards are being played. In history into Karn, into Teferi, you know, answering all these cards for one mana would be a big game right now. It's just that the other pieces aren't surrounding cards like spell pierce. And that's where I wish this deck was able to play. And it really can't. It doesn't have that kind of effective clock as it stands right now.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, Brennan DeCandio's blue-white mid-range deck solves the, the Lyra problem by playing two copies of Shalai. Shalai,
1: yeah. Shalai's so good with Lyra. When you get the lifelink bonus on Shalai, man, that feels so good.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's like your Lyra has haste, effectively. And then you, you kind of have two of them because they have to kill the Shalai before the Lyra. So this is, I think, Shalai's first time showing up in a deck with no green mana.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of leads me to believe that Shalai is too good. (laughs) When it's able to be played in that context, it sets off some alarm bells for me. Like here's this major function of the card and you're just like, you know what? I don't need this. It's completely fine on its face. That speaks to me on just how good Shalai is. And my own play experience has absolutely shown that to be true. Shalai is a
0: very, very powerful card and it's going to be a part of standard going forward. Yeah. Shalai is the one card where I'm just like, all right, how do I do this? You know, like what is, what is the best shell for this? Like I, I generally go on like the, the polar ends and I'm just like, well, how far can I push this? Uh to just to see how good the, the text on the card is, right? So it's like you try with like Rishkar, I, I think that's a pretty big interaction. Song of Frey Elise is okay. Maybe Rights of Flourishing. Even even like Lyra, it's just like giving like a powerful thing, hexproof. And then Lyra also pumping Shalai and giving it life, like, is super nice. So it's like, I've tried all these different interactions, and none of them feel quite right, you know? But like, there is something out there for sure.
1: Mox Amber is another one I would mention kind of to that effect, you know, getting value from your Mox Amber besides those first two or three turns and having somewhere to dump that mana in the late game yeah. uh, is really appealing to me. So that's, that's one of the places I've looked to maximize Shalai.
0: Yeah. And, and, walking Ballista, of course, which is right. a card I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a reasonable amount about. Sure. Yeah. So uh, blue, white kind of falling out of favor, white, black vehicles coming up mostly as a response to that. And I think blue-white mid-range is kind of like trying to do the same thing too. It's like you, you see a lot of them with like history banalia and like similar things going on, just like a lot of hard to remove permanence and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think the white-black deck is stronger, mostly because of like the comparison to the old green-white tokens decks.
1: So do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? What exactly, what are the analogs you're drawing between the black-white vehicles deck and the old green white tokens deck and maybe just for people who aren't super familiar with the archetypes, be a little bit more specific about which which version of green white you're talking about
0: right so uh the the one that i'm mostly talking about is it was just called green white tokens right because of like gideon yeah. and nissa and Hangerback walker and stuff like that and uh, a lot of people started building it like kind of as an aggressive deck and then as time went on and very similarly to mardu vehicles like people figured out how to have a really good transitional sideboard plan where like, you know, you board out your small ball creatures, you board in some bigger stuff like sweepers, a uh, bunch of removal, a bunch of card advantage engines. And then you just like decimate these mid range mirrors. One of the, the big like revelations for me and majors, when we were testing this deck, were well, like, we were playing against mirror matches and against Ban company also. And, we just like had this moment where we just looked at each other and we're just like, I'm pretty sure we're just not supposed to try and kill them because every time you would expend all these resources, like, you know, you would make bad trades in combat or you would like spew off your last Romoka's command to like try and get in damage and set up like a one or two turn lethal. It's just like, they would always just like have something to retake the board situation, you know? So we altered our game plan and our sideboard and our sideboard plan under the premise that like you should basically not try and kill your opponent you should control the game through aggression which basically means like put pressure on your opponent and force them to react to you but you basically try to never give them any favorable trades and then you just uh, accumulate value as the game goes on and eventually you'll just bury them you know you'll stick in this case you'll stick a karn or a heart of kieran or lyra something they can't beat and eventually your opponent will fall down meanwhile like you're still holding on to like your last cast out just in case something horrible goes wrong.
1: So you're having success playing black, white in this same kind of way where you're just slowly accumulating a value, taking the attacks when they're there, but not forcing the action, not burning a fatal push on a way to push through, you know, some early scrap heaps ground your damage or anything like that.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously there are
1: exceptions. Yeah,
0: there are exceptions. There are unique situations that come up. And obviously if you can, set up like a one-turn lethal that is guaranteed, right? Like your opponent literally can't have anything, then yeah, go ahead and do that, right? But for the most part, I think these these small white creature decks with like the vehicles and the Planeswalkers, like between green-white tokens and Mardu and now this deck, like we have seen a consistent trend where the decks just end up being built like this. And even like the green-white decks are now playing like a bunch of Planeswalkers and Lyra's and cast-outs and Ixalan's Bindings and stuff like that. Basically, everyone is taking this stance because it is correct.
1: How does that then influence the decision? I mean, given that standpoint, you would think you would emphasize cards which play well in kind of two fashions. And if you go back to the historical green-white tokens deck, I think it did an excellent job of doing that. Something like Hangerback Walkers, both a defensive and a very good closing card, Archangel Avison, Sylvan Advocate, all of these cards kind of play very well both ways. However... If you look at the current black-white deck, you're dealing with cards like Toolcraft Exemplar and Scrap Heap Scrounger. And these cards kind of only play in one direction, like they're designed to be aggressive cards. Do you see a problem with that? Does that point to maybe a new potential way to build black-white? Or is that early aggression so important to kind of installing your late game plan that you're willing to have the cost of these cards, which only function on one side of the coin?
0: So the early aggression is kind of twofold. Like, for starters, you have Heart of Kieran. I guess it's threefold. So you have Heart of Kirin, right? Which, especially right now with Blue, White, and Seal Away, like, Heart of Kirin is definitely a card you want access to. And For sure. Toolcraft Exemplar works the best with Heart of Kirin out of, like, basically all the cards in Standard, unless you want to name, like, Gideon or Karn. but, like, this deck has these two. And you can't afford to play just, like, all removal and anti-midrange stuff in your main deck because then you're going to get clobbered by Blue, White, Control. So this deck gets to play Toolcraft, Heart, Scrap Heap, Scrounger against Blue-White Control and then side out a lot of those pieces in pseudo-mirror matches. And it's not like these cards are like super bad against mirrors or green-white decks. Like Heart of Kirin is still very good and the early pressure can also like bleed out the removal to make it so things like Lyra Stick later. Also, having early aggression is much better with Planeswalkers than just having removal spells because if you go Toolcraft into Heart or Scrap Heap, your opponent's on the back foot. They have to spend their mana and resources reacting to what you're doing. And then when you land something like a Karn on a on a battlefield presence where you're already ahead, Karn is so much better. Like you just have free reign to like plus minus however you want without really fear of it getting attacked down.
1: Why don't you expand a little bit on Karn's role in the deck to that extent? Because one of the things I see people talk about a lot with Karn is... Am I supposed to hard minus? Like, am I supposed to go for that really aggressive line where I'm making big constructs? And by the way, I think this is one of the things about Karn, which as high as I was on this card, my number one card in the set, I've been all about Karn since I saw it. But despite that, I think I undervalued just how quickly this card can turn aggressive, especially when you have four copies in your deck. Because there's a lot of chains that you can set up where it's like play my card and minus, minus again, play my second card and minus. And if I had a scrap heap scrounger and a hardekieran in play, well, I just made three five fives so over the course of two turns. And You know, that's a very dominant board position, real quick, to say nothing of the fact that you still have a Karn sitting in play threatening to make a six-six on the next turn.
0: Yeah, because of because of those play patterns, I think it's actually a mistake that Karn has five loyalty.
1: A design mistake? Yeah, maybe. So you think minus minus should basically kill Karn? Four would make a lot more sense, is what you're saying.
0: Kind of. It's also just like really hard to kill. Like there are so many situations against even like Mono Red where you just like play it uptick. And then they have an attack for like four or whatever, but they're just like, I can't, I can't do this, you know, because then Karn's at two, you're not taking damage. You can minus Karn, get some big card off it, most likely, you know. But yeah, like Karn in this deck is interesting because I think there are a lot of attractive lines where you can go Karn minus minus and like have this big battlefield presence. But like, realistically, what I've liked doing is just going like Karn plus plus, they have to deal with it. And then your second Karn is that much better because you're you can like immediately start minusing it to pick up cards that you actually want and need.
1: Right, I find often that that's like the removal spell they wouldn't give you earlier and now there's like a cast out just sitting there, a nice juicy cast out waiting to answer every single permanent that they could possibly play.
0: Right, but say say you go Karn minus minus, right? And even against something like blue-white control, it's like, okay, well, they have settled the wreckage and stuff like that, so it's not even like you're even going to be able to attack with all of the creatures you made, right? So like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, a very contextual card. It
0: it does everything
1: well, so that means there's a lot of decisions to make. Right, and I think people are looking for like a shortcut. I don't think there's a shortcut with card. I think it's very contextual, and you have to really think about what benefits you in that moment.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And you know, for full context, like how I would build this white black deck is probably like cut a Knight of Malice for a third Ballista. Just because, you know, if you're playing, if you're aiming to play this long game, Ballista is just one of the best cards you can have. Plus it's another artifact for Toolcraft. And yeah, I, I would mostly be playing with like Karn plus plus. And especially against like Blue-White, if, if you're just going to play Karn and you know it's, it's going to get cast out, then I think you want to plus to have your second Karn have the card in exile rather than just like have a 1-1 or 2-2 lying around.
1: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. The body's not likely to be super relevant against the blue-white decks. Obviously, exceptions where you're trying to kill a planeswalker or there's some kind of strategic reason for going the opposite way, but I get what you're saying. You mentioned walking ballista. This card is stunningly good. For a card that's been good throughout its entire lifespan in the format, right now it's stunningly good. I think it may be at its all-time peak uh, in terms of efficiency, in terms of what it's answering, and it's doing a spectacular job of warping the format right now. A card like Glint Sleeve Seifreder, which was dominant just recently, is seeing almost no play. You, know, you would think a deck like this would be ripe for incorporating that card. But it just doesn't make sense given the number of walking ballistas floating around right now. And one of the big changes I made to my blue-white deck was to have four walking ballistas in my sideboard. They were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic in every matchup I wanted them in. It's, it's crazy how much this card, which was already very good, has kind of just taken the throne as maybe... Uh, it's hard to say this when there's cards like Karn floating around. It's certainly in the top like three most important cards in the format right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. I th- I actually think what is happening now is that like going forward, th- whoever builds like the biggest walking ballista or is able to utilize ballista the best is probably going to have a huge edge, especially as as like these blue white decks just become more mid-range and there are fewer hard control decks. It's like if you have ballista snake, ballista gearhulk, uh even like ballista metallic mimic or whatever, it's just like every deck struggles to deal with that because there are so many sets and there just end up being enough cards where like you can build a solid mana curve and now we have enough dual lands where we can build like really powerful two-color decks instead of having to like go out into the third color to get some help, you know? So like everyone's deck is like very powerful, very streamlined and Walking Ballista just ends up being very, very good against those super like intensely focused mana curves.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, you know, this card isn't going away anytime soon. This will be an inclusion in most of these decks going forward.
0: You might point to something like Toolcraft Exemplar and it's just like, oh, it's weak to Ballista. And it's like, dude, please Ballista, my Exemplar on two. Like, this is just a decoy.
1: Yep, trade up on mana. If you're looking to play the type of game you're describing Black-White playing, you're totally happy with that exchange of two mana for your one mana card. And now you get to, you know, whatever it is your two-drop play is. If you're going to go Scrounger, if you're going to go Heart of and you're totally fine with them wasting their second turn on that.
0: Right, I mean, you're spending your first turn, which is just generally a blank in a mid-range deck because you'll just like play a tap lane or play nothing like there aren't that many great one drops and it's just a thing that they have to deal with eventually they have to spend their mana on in the meantime you're you're just kind of like dance puppet dance like you're walking into my trap like i'm just gonna play this this long game and eventually bury you with card yeah it makes sense so i think one of the main things about this whole situation about this white black vehicles thing is that you can play this deck aggressively and still have success like you do not have to be as, I don't know, just like as fluid as I would want it to be. Like I I want to build the main deck with some amount of bridges that help transition into your sideboard plan. So like main decking more Ballistas or more Lyras makes a lot of sense to me, but it's like, yeah, you can do what like Zan and Collins did. And I think they're like very close to there, but I don't think like their postboard deck is like cohesive. It's just like, well, against this matchup, we want some sweepers. We want... Some golden demises, whatever, but like their their deck after boarding doesn 't look like an actual deck if that makes any sense,
1: yeah, I see what you 're saying where yours feels a little bit more like something that was elephanted and designed to become this new archetype really not it 's not black white aggressive vehicles anymore it 's now black white mid range controlish type thing, and designed to be exactly that. You mentioned sweepers this has been another thing i i 've heard people discuss a lot as far as what is the right sweeper to play in the sideboard. I know you're super high on Fumigate. I've seen people who are just as high on Settle the Wreckage. I've seen some Phyrexian scriptures. You mentioned Zens What's the name of the three-mana black sweeper that I'm blanking on golden right now? Golden Demise. Golden Demise. You mentioned his Golden Demises. Where do you fall on the proper sweeper for the metagame as it stands now?
0: As it stands now, uh, I think this white-black deck struggles a little bit against uh the bigger green decks so like yeah green yeah. green x like steel leaf champion like you just don't have enough hard spot removal to deal with these things as they come down and like galta things like that so you need a pretty big catch-all and if your postboard plan is to like side out some of the mopey beatdown package like the Toolcraft exemplars the scrap heaps whatever like those those things get brick wall pretty easily and the green X typically have ballistas. So like, it makes sense to do that and build more towards this controlling shell. But like, if you're not pressuring them, they have all the time in the world to just be like, all right, hit you for five with my one creature, hit you for five with my one creature to like play around, settle the wreckage, you know? Right. So I I think you need stuff like fumigate to actually have a good shot against them.
1: Uh, That makes sense to me. I've heard it described and I can't remember who said this. It, It may have been Ari in his article, but he basically discussed you want Fumigate for, like you said, green creature decks. And Settle is the card that you need to have against red decks. As the metagame stands right now, I'm leaning towards the Fumigate side side of things, especially on Magic Online. There's a ton of the mono green deck running around. Uh, I'd much rather have a nice, clean answer to all those huge 12-12s and 5-4s that are clogging up boards. So Fumigate is my removal spell of choice. I'm really low on Phyrexian scriptures. I think you're just making a mistake if you're playing that card in your deck. And I think most people have come to the same conclusion, although I still see it floating around here or there. You're not getting as much upside as you think you are. Like you're, I think it's a little cute. There's a ton of disenchant effects being played in the format right now. So now your Wrath of God is vulnerable to being removed from the board and not doing the one job you really, really needed to do. You know, like crushing canopies are very likely coming in against you from the green deck uh, to deal with your Lyra's and, and your Heart of curans and your cast outs, obviously. So I just don't like that card. I'm strongly advising stay away from Phyrexian scriptures.
0: I'm right there with you. I mean, I've I've tried that card. It like seems so good in theory. Like a lot of your creatures are artifacts, plus you just get to make an artifact from uh the first scriptures trigger. So it mm. it looks really appealing and the the only time I would really consider actually playing it is if like they had zero artifacts and I was really trying to set up untapping uh with a clear board. Yeah. And and generally that involves like, you know, playing a Planeswalker or whatever. Like if you play this into Jaya or something or like, you know, Teferi, I don't know. But even then it's just, it is too vulnerable. Like you'd rather just have settled the wreckage or something along those lines. Yeah. Something a little cleaner. Um,
1: As far as golden demise, things feel a little bit bigger than that to me. I like it as an answer to history of Benalia, which is maybe the next card we should come around to as we haven't even touched on this card yet, but feels a little small to me. But you could see if you were expecting a lot of black-white, at least if you're assuming that they're staying in the same configuration as they are in game one. And I think that's a big problem. I think assuming they're going to come at you with the toolcraft exemplar, Scrap Heaps, scrounger History of banalia plan in game twos is not always going to pay dividends. If they are, your golden demises are going to look great. Uh, in a lot of other spots, they're going to feel a little silly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it strikes me as a card that they wanted for mono-red, but it seems misplaced because the mono-red decks are like, all chain whirler decks.
1: Right. They're getting bigger now.
0: So, yeah, I mean, like, Golden Demise doesn't kill everything that you want it to. I, I just assume that you would want settle the wreckage in that spot. I mean, if you look at the creature base for this white black deck, like, yeah, Golden Demise kills a lot of stuff, but like, you're basically only ever going to get two things, and it's two things that just don't matter. Yeah. That's not what the game's about. It, at least it shouldn't be, you know? Like, I, I want to board in, uh, like, the Angel of Sanctions, the treasure maps, whatever fragmentizes. Uh, Argul's Bloodfast, like that type of stuff, and just like play a long game. Like if they're if they're going to play a bunch of small creatures, punish them with Walking Ballista.
1: Angel of Sanctions is another card that every time it comes down lately, it feels so game breaking to me. It's funny that it's still able to compete for some deck space in a world where Lyra exists. It definitely has a place in this metagame, especially where there's a lot of you know removal like Cast Out, where you're getting these really really swingy uh, angels and you know getting that little bit of extra value from the Embalm token as well. So good to see that card get a place back in the metagame
0: yeah i was i was originally you know playing like a third lyra in the sideboard but the deck wants like three ish disenchants and also like main deck disenchants might just become a thing
1: at some point. it's close it's getting real close at this point
0: yeah so angel of sanctions just has this really nice utility and because there weren't a lot of uh vraska's contempts it was pretty easy to just play play this and it lines up pretty well against the things that they would want to fight your Lyra with. So it's like, okay, I'll crush in Canopy or fight with fire this, and you're just like, all right, cool, embalm it. And now like, you know, we're we're Gucci or whatever.
1: Yeah, to to your point, too, I would note that one of the trophy leaders on Magic Online right now is is Paulo the Wall. And last I looked, he was playing mono green with main deck naturalize.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I did see that list. Yeah.
1: So he's already of the opinion that you can get away with main deck disenchant effects,
0: which is weird too, from the mono green deck, right? Because it's like, how much do they they just play guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do they care about interacting? It's like, well, you know, sometimes you blow up their cast out and you kill your opponent. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just good. Or like you race their heart of Kieran, you know, like what, what decks are you not going to have targets for?
1: Yeah. And you think about the best card against mono green, it, it's probably seal away. Like a two mana answer to your twelve twelve is pretty backbreaking. So nice to have a little bit of flexibility in dealing with that card in the main deck.
0: Yeah. And just the surprise value out of game one has got to be insane too. Sure. sure. So yeah, Angel, Angel of Sanctions, I think is trending up, especially as Lyra trends down just because uh, Angel ends up lining up well against the things that people would have for Lyra. Yep. That makes sense. And it kind of stabilizes the board, you know. It's like against most decks, like you take out their biggest threat. Like a three-four flyer is going to block a lot of stuff anyway. So it's kind of like this pseudo Rathagod thing too. But
1: yeah, not doing quite the same stabilizing work as Lyra, but of the same vein and a little bit more flexible as well. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we come back to history of Banalia? That was a card I wanted to put a pin in and and just talk about. I saw something interesting from Pedro Carvalho on Twitter today. And he said he did not believe that history of Benalia and heart of Kieran belong in the same deck. Basically, referencing <laughs> the turn to heart of Kirin. Yeah, yeah. You, what's your response to that,
0: dude? Whatever. Like <laughs> you, you just let it happen. Like you play your heart, you have it there. Cool. Uh, if you have history on three, like you know you're you're stable. You don't have to necessarily attack with heart every single turn. I think this is megaphone, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he is just, like, very pigeonholed into attacking, and he wants to attack with his heart. Like, he's putting his Heart of Kieran in his deck because he wants to attack with every attack. turn. And I don't I don't want to do that. I just want the heart there. I want to play my history, get my four power, hit my opponent for eight, maybe play a Karn. And then you can, like, either crew the heart or not. Who cares? Like, the, the threat of it is just good enough.
1: Yeah, it turns out you don't have to swing too many times with your 4-4 four four before it uh, wraps the game up. So you're okay taking a turn off every now and then.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I agree that it's awkward, but it's just like Night of Malice with Heart of Kieran is also sort of awkward sometimes. So I don't know.
1: So I think that we're starting to see a little trend towards people turning against History of banalia. I know Ari was a little bit lower on the card than most people I've seen as well in his article this week. I'm not there yet. I still think this is one of the best cards in the set. I've seen some games where, like, I just play a ton of History of Benalia's. And I'm like, this should, there's no way my opponent has any chance. Like, I play History of Benalia turn three, turn four, turn five. How can my opponent ever win in that situation? And they do. And those games kind of frighten me a little bit because, you know, the 4 3 bodies either being invalidated or just being able to take trades or, you know, getting mired down in this back and forth History of Benalia game it hasn't had the closing power that I would expect the card to on its face. That being said, it's completely capable of running away with a game if unchecked. And I really want to maximize the token side of things. I think it's hard given the shape of the format right now, but at some point, SRAM's expertise into history of Benalia is just going to be like the Nutter Butters, like that kind of wide board presence out of your one format of spell is going to take over a lot of games. Something like, Huatli Radiant Champion has room to shine, and the problem is stuff like Chain Whirler, which is still present in the metagame, and you know people looking to account for these cards early on. I do think there will be a point though where you can successfully implement these kind of go wide strategies, and I think it's fine in this deck. Is it one of the best cards in this deck? No, I, I think your best cards are are elsewhere. I think it's Karn really is the card that this deck is taking the most advantage of. But History of Benalia is certainly too powerful to exclude from a deck like White Black.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is like White Black is basically just about burying your opponent under power. It isn't about dealing 20 on turn six or anything like that. And I think if you start viewing it that way and start trying to build it that way, then yeah, like you probably exclude History of Benalia, but like you're probably not playing Knight of Malice. You're probably not playing Walking Ballista. You're not playing Lyra,
1: right? So it sounds like there's some misassignment of role going on right now. And, and people, you know, thinking this deck looks aggressive on its face, trying to play it in a fashion and and maybe getting punished for not really getting that this is white green tokens. This is a different deck than it looks like. It's not vehicles. It's something much more elegant than vehicles.
0: Right. And it sounds like you just want to play Mardu at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're looking for a different
0: deck. Like get your veteran motorist, your unlicensed disintegrations and let's go.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get inside the mind of someone else, obviously. You don't know exactly what's leading them to this conclusion. I'm trying to be mindful of the information they're offering, even though it's not in line with my own play experience. So I'm trying to look for ways where they're finding dissatisfaction with history of Benelia. And you could be exactly right. It's just they want to play a different game. It's leading them down a path to believe they should be playing that game. And it's actually not quite true.
0: Well, the the other thing to consider is that like, okay, so your, your main issue is that You either play a one-drop or don't, right? Then you play Heart of Kirin, and then next turn, you want to play a thing that allows you to crew your Heart of Kirin and attack, and then maybe attack with your one-drop, like your Toolcraft Exemplar, right? Mm -hmm. Well, is there a way to get an extra power somewhere?
1: Yeah, you would need something out of your your one-drop, essentially. You have to play an extra set of one-drops, maybe. Um, You know, it's tough. There's not a lot of good white or black one-drops out there, but there's ways to, like...
0: Legion's Landing is the card you want.
1: You could do Legions Landing, uh, maybe something like Dread Wanderer, if you had to play those type of games. But I think, given the nature of removal right now, Dread wanderer is not great. There's other ways to get a couple extra points on the board and and get your guys screwed up.
0: Why I like Legions Landing so much is that it's another white card for Knight of Malice, and for Knight of Malice with not a lot of white permanence is not great, especially in your Heart of cure deck. So that was. That was one of the things that I was originally doing, and you don't transform Legion's Landing a lot in this deck. Like, you kind of have to go out of your way to do it, which is another thing that led me to believe that this is just, like, another like green, white tokens in disguise. But mm-hmm. if you are trying to play, like, white, black, beatdown vehicles, Legion's Landing is probably the card you
1: want. Okay. Have you ever given any consideration to adding the other side of the knight cycle, the white knight, as opposed to just the black knight?
0: I, I just don't want that many grizzly bears.
1: Even given this deck rising in popularity, you know, it dodges the fatal pushes. That's really about it as far as the removal goes. It, it stonewalls history of banalia tokens where that's an important, you know, point of interaction in the game. Or is it just too low impact? So is the black one. Yeah. No, no. I, I know. I'm just saying it's it's more copies of the black one. It's likely to turn on given that you're now playing the black one and the white one. And your opponent should have, you know, black cards on the other side of the table quite possibly.
0: Yeah, please, please Fatal Push my Knight of Malice.
1: <laughs> you're fine just, with that, doesn't
0: matter. I, I don't care. Like, it means you're not killing my heart, and it means that, you know, you have Fatal Push in your deck, which, you know, I in game one, I'm going to have Fatal Push also, probably in lower numbers than most people. Right. But, like, post-board, I would expect, like, that's just a card that people will keep in, you know? And I, I think that's a mistake. But if you want to play White Black Beatdown, you that's can certainly do that. Yeah, I mean, you can you can play a bunch of knights. Uh, I did play against like a knight deck that seemed pretty interesting. That was both of the knights, the two drop knights, uh, Benelish Marshall, which with unclaimed territory to fix, and then uh, Ariel Radiant Destiny. It looked fine.
1: Yeah, a lot of synergies there for sure.
0: So you want to play beatdown, go that route. Don't change my lovely white-black vehicle deck. So
1: to the other side of that coin, can you get bigger than this version? You know, can you kind of pre-board a little bit maybe some main deck treasure maps and angel of sanctions starts creeping in is is there a way to go that route
0: uh i would not mind seeing from collins's list minus one night of malice minus one fatal push and maybe minus the lyra's although that's like kind of the opposite direction or whatever and like i think those slots you can play with pretty easily and uh yeah you can play like main deck bigger stuff like one blood fast or whatever like i'd be fine with that like you know how good it is to be pressuring your opponent and then you play blood fast mm-hmm. you know it's just like you have you have all the time in the world whereas like if you're trying to play this removal control game you're like trying to kill their stuff they're pressuring you you play blood fast when you're at like 10 and behind it's so much worse right right if you keep the toolcraft aspect main deck you can play more grindy things like that that will allow you to compete in a longer game with stuff like blue white control or green black constrictor. As long as you have the actual tools you need to like deal with what they're doing. Right. But either way, I think a, a third Gideon of the trials is quite good and just could almost certainly be in the deck.
1: Yeah, we were both high on Gideon last week. Uh, I remain high on Gideon. I think it's very powerful. And, and it, another one of those bridge cards, right, where it kind mm-hmm. of plays well both ways, answering your opponent's threats as well as presenting a threat on its own.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's just one of the best cards with and against Heart of Kieran.
1: Right, spot on.
0: And that's that's why I don't think I need things like Fatal Push, is that like, you have a lot of incidental ways to deal with all this random nonsense. You know, like I would much rather Gideon their heart instead of Fatal Push it because it also blanks all of their other hearts.
1: So you're really prioritizing that flexibility. That's, to you, one of
0: the big selling points of this deck. I think it's huge. I think it's how you win basically all of your games.
1: I will say that after this conversation, I'm driven to go pick up White Black again. Not that I didn't like the deck my first pass. I thought it was totally fine. I think I put up like a 3-2, you know, nothing special. I don't know that I played another league with the smaller version. I think I took a bigger version through a league after that. But I really want to play some games with this kind of different focus this thought pattern that i'm just trying to get my value when i can you know playing my removal spells as close to the vest as possible being real stingy with every piece of value and seeing how games play out in that fashion
0: yeah meanwhile you're you're just kind of like chip damaging them where it's free you know Mm -hmm. let me ask this
1: if you were playing this deck What do you fear right now in like the current configurations? What are the problem matchups for this deck? What is, if this is the deck to play and you don't want to pick up this deck for whatever reason, you don't believe it's the best deck or, you know, you lack the cards, whatever. What's the response to this being the number one deck in the format after this week?
0: So you're light on actual hard removal, especially for bigger things. Most of the time, if there's like a Lyra on the other side of the table, you can get around that somehow. Either you can build like a big enough ballista or you can swarm them or you can Gideon it. You know, maybe you have giant Karn tokens, whatever. There are there are a lot of ways to actually beat Lyra. But since you don't have a lot of removal, things like Winding Constrictor sometimes get out of control and you don't have enough ways to actually interact with that because you're relying on things like Knight of Malice or Heart of Kieran to actually like brick wall your opponent's smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. But Green Black doesn't, like it it's not falling prey to that. Like, yeah, sometimes you ballista their glint sleeve siphoner or whatever, but that's just like their free roll. I win the game card. Like they're going to keep playing it, you know, but if, if you don't remove a winding constrictor, like the, the game is going to end. Like they're, they're going to end up with like five, five power creatures and like ballista mowing down all your stuff. And kind of similarly, like the mono green decks just have so many big things, you know, like right. they have th- their own hearts and Ronus and steel leaf champion. Eventually they'll play a Galta because you're not killing all their stuff. And it's just really hard to actually keep them pinned down. So like you, that, that's one of the reasons why I think you need Fumigate is like, you just need like this big reset button. You need to be able to like play that and untap with like a blood fast or a Gideon or Karn or something, you know, like some sort of big effect because you're not going to beat these decks any other way because they, they just incidentally go over you.
1: So one of the decks that comes to my mind A deck that has historically preyed on the uh, Toolcraft exemplar Scrap Heap Scrounger decks is Mono Red. Obviously, things have changed a little bit given the printing of Lyra Dawnbringer, um, but we've talked about this in the past, ways to address that out of the Mono Red deck. I think that Mono Red is a very reasonable choice right now, especially if White Black Aggro continues to pick up. I don't know that enough respect is being pay- paid to Mono Red in the sideboard. I think appropriately so for this week. That could change going forward, though. And Mono Red seems like it could pick up a fine matchup against this deck.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. Because again, you don't have enough removal to contain all their stuff. They're pretty good at making sure that you don't get any traction by just like burning all of your blockers and stuff. Right. They have soul scar mage plus goblin chain whirler, which makes even like the, the Knight of malice is fairly ineffective. And yeah, it's just, it's really tar- hard to actually like pin them down. So you do need some sort of like very targeted things. So I was playing a couple of grind of dust for a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. what did you think of that card?
0: It, it was good. It was good ish, you know, like. Whenever if, if they ever had like a bow into Earthshaker and to like kill all of your creatures, it's just like that that takes the win completely out of their sails. It, it effectively neuters like their SoulScar mages. And uh it was it was okay against like the bigger green decks, right? Because like you could put counters and then uh eventually exile some of their biggest threats as like a two for one. But like I, I think there are too many games against mono red where it's like they don't have a draw that's that's weak to grind to dust, where it's like, all right, we gotta try something else. And Maybe it is just, like, more spot removal, Settle the Wreckages, Aether Sphere Harvester, things like that. Right. Yeah, I think there's ways that White Black could prepare for the mono-red matchup. You could
1: certainly try and get things back uh, in White Black's favor. But as it stands right now, I I do like Red's odds against this deck.
0: Yeah, for sure. I Like, it is is definitely one of the weaknesses. I I think the green decks, once you figure out a good plan for them, then it's not going to be that bad, you know? Okay. Just, like, playing Lyra... When, if everyone has like fight with fire, I think that's, that's a pretty bad decision. Like it's even possible that you just don't play Lyra anymore. Like you just have two or three angel of sanctions and that's, that's like, your just big stabilizing mechanism. You know,
1: there's going to be a point where it's correct to leave Lyra on the bench for sure. Uh, We, I, I think it's already trending in that direction. And we talked about this. Lyra is a card you can prepare for. It's just a ball of stats and cards that are balls of stats have inherent weaknesses There's always cards that are good against them, and those cards, if Lyra gets out of control, will be more and more widely played, and you're already seeing some of that happening.
0: Yeah, for sure. So Aether Sphere Harvester is probably the card that needs to get in here.
1: And the version you were playing did have Aether Sphere Harvester in the main deck. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I had two. Okay. It was solid. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Having a bunch of vehicles is kind of awkward if you're planning to board out a bunch of creatures, but I would typically just keep in the scrap heaps.
1: Even in matchups where you're looking to play the more
0: controlling role. Yeah, I mean, like, you you take out, like, one or two, maybe, if you have a bunch of cards you want to bring in. But post-sweeper, I think Scrap Heap is fine. Like, if you fumigate the board, then cool. You know, now you have this threat that can come back whenever, and it's just, like, an easier way to close the game. But also, just, like, if, if you get in, like, nine points of early damage or you play two of them and suddenly they're like, okay, well, I guess I have to, like, trade my things with these things or they have to use removal on them, it's it's all good. Because if you're just playing like a straight controlling game, you wouldn't be doing anything on your early turns anyway.
1: Yeah, and those Scrappy grounders are happy to ride around in Hearts and Aether sure Harvesters all day. That's what they live for. Just hopping in a vehicle, cruising around oh, yeah. Dormin area.
0: Yeah, man. So I, I think it's kind of a, a mistake to just be like, oh, well, I'm becoming this control deck. I have to side out this thing they can't block. And it's like, no, like it's it's completely fine. You don't You don't mind drawing one of them per game for sure.
1: Okay, maybe a bit of an unintuitive response, but I totally get where you're coming from.
0: Dude, again, it's like pressuring them through damage is super huge. It's like one of the most undervalued ways to actually control the game. Like you say like control the game, it, people think of like removal spells, right? But it's like you're you're navigating or not navigating, I don't just like influencing the pace of the game, right? Like you are not necessarily starting out on the back foot every time, which is just awesome. It's like you gain 10 life.
1: Yeah. I I, look control of a game is dictating your opponent's actions and whether you're doing that by holding open two blue mana or whether you're doing that by putting your opponent in a position where they can never afford to profitably attack and they're constrained on resources and they're afraid to tap out because they'll be punished for not having a removal spell you're still controlling their approach to the game that's what controlling the game means it doesn't have to always be blue spells and and i think this is a really really like kind of a key level up point for people is to start thinking about other ways to assert control on a game besides just killing all your opponent's things.
0: Yeah, you you are dictating the pace of the game by being aggressive. And mm-hmm. that means that your opponent has to react to you. They may or may not be prepared to do that. You know, they might not have the right tools. And yeah, sometimes you just like scrap heap and heart and kill them. And you, you, you're like, well, I, I still had all these, you know, like, <laughs> uh, but most of the time it's just like, all right, I'm going to start attacking you so that you're not attacking me. And then that gives me time to like play corn and set up. Right.
1: Would you say that your your perception of this method of control, is this one of the things that kind of pushes you away from pure control archetypes? Because you've stated before that you really don't like the sit there, counter everything, remove everything style of gameplay. You know, something like my blue-white deck makes you bristle. I know that. Do you think it's because you take this approach to controlling the game with a a more proactive slant? Or is it just like you just believe those decks are bad and it's really not any deeper than that?
0: I mean, I don't want to say that hard control is strictly inferior because obviously like your top decks are going to be a lot better. You know, you're not going to draw a toolcraft exemplar on turn 10 or whatever, but I do think it is much more difficult for something like white, black vehicles to just be like, oh man, I lost that game because, you know, like my opponent just like had a threat and I just like drew the wrong half of my deck or whatever, you know? Blue, I control. If you know, if you don't draw a cast out, and I land a Karn, like you're going to have a bad time, right? But at least this way, I have a couple different avenues that I can take. Either like I attack the Karn off the board, or I just controlling the pace of the game in the early stages to, to where their Karn is bad. You know, I, I just think that like this deck or these sorts of decks are strategically superior, and also the the cards are better too. Like the
1: on their face, yeah, I get what you're saying. It, it's a no. lot more impressive to have things like a Karn than a syncopate or no even (laughs) even just like
0: the beatdown cards are getting better the threats are getting more and more diverse and harder to deal with and the control cards are basically getting worse
1: yeah but that i mean that's not necessarily telling control cards were so much better than anything else you could be doing for so long that bringing the playing field a little bit closer doesn't necessarily invalidate the control cards i agree with your statement i just don't think that's enough to disqualify you know pure control as an archetype
0: did you ever get to play white black against blue white uh, yeah, I've played the matchup a few times. Did Did you ever feel like from the white-black side, like you were just making your opponent dance? I'm trying to remember
1: how the game's played out. There's certainly some of that. You're dictating the pace of the game. You're controlling their settles. You're saying, here's what you have to do now, and then I get to do this in response. I right. get what you're saying.
0: Like, there, there have been so many games where they have three mana. I know that they can't do anything profitable with that mana. So it's like, I'll play some sort of bait spell like maybe a toolcraft or whatever and they're like okay well i have to let that resolve because you could play something big right and then i just don't attack with my scrap heap scrounger because i don't want them to be able to spend their mana to seal away it you Mm -hmm. know and then it's like next turn i'll attack with one or both if like they have settle i can play karn if they seal away maybe i can resolve history to benalia and you know it was just like things like that Whereas like they never had a choice for like how they could use their cards to maximum benefit it was all on me
1: i, I don't want to like push my own agenda but this is why I pull from tomorrow is an awesome card because exactly the situations you're describing where it's like they're trying to make you dance and you're like i'll draw four and that's enough usually to carry the rest of the game beyond that point that's besides yeah. the
0: point i get what you're saying and no but like on unlike the glimmer turns like i would want to jam a threat right and then like on their Gear Hulk turns it'd be like, "All right, I'll play this like bait spell first because you need to keep it open to like settle the wreckage me, and then I won't attack." You know, like I was generally like pressuring their mana on turns where they would use a card drawer to come back. And I agree that like having I guess you have pull instead of the two mana draw twos, right, or the four, mana draw, four mana draw twos. Yeah, those cards are terrible. You're you're baiting me right now, Jerry. I feel it. You're
1: trying to drag me into yelling about how much more I like my control deck. I'm not doing it. We're talking about black white this week. Black-white's very good, and I get what you're saying, and I'm stopping right now. That's it. Word. All,
0: all I'm saying is that like the way I built and played the white-black deck was basically just a prey on these blue-white decks, how they were built. And the decks that did well are the mid-range decks this weekend. Right, effectively. Right. right. good point. And not that old style of blue-white. So, I mean, that, that, could, that could be for any number of reasons or whatever, but... Yeah, like the the deck has to adapt. You you have certainly adapted your deck. I don't know if it's in like the best direction or whatever. Like we'll we'll see. I guess I don't know. But
1: time will tell. They keep not publishing my list, so no one's going to pick up. Paul. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> so I started by comparing this deck to green white tokens. Right. But you did not have a lot of experience with that deck. I know you played Mardu a lot, so like that's that's kind of similar, right? Yep. Yeah. And what about Rally? I,
1: I played Rally very early on, like a very inferior version of the deck. And then during that era of standard, I was kind of in like the law, law firm hardlock, where I was able to play very little. Like I wasn't motoing at all. I basically just played like the pro tours and that was it and had okay. no time to practice whatsoever. So I don't have a ton of Rally experience, but would you consider this? I mean, are you are getting to the point that this is a similar deck to Rally?
0: So you're building a battlefield position. You're you're certainly not trying to, you know, set yourself up to be in a position where like you're super far behind, right? It's like you're reacting to the board as necessary and all that. But in the meantime, you're getting your chip shots in, right? And just like accumulating value. And eventually you just bury your opponent. And you're not making these super aggressive attacks or using your murderous cut on some blocker when they could just untap and play an Fenza or whatever. Like you're just not doing that. You're just like slowly getting value and attacking your opponent. And then eventually you win the game.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite ways to play Magic It's just getting those little bits of value here and there and just the slow squeeze, right? You just feel them, all their options are choking and each play they could possibly make looks worse and worse as each turn yes. goes on.
0: Yes, I, I actually wrote about like this sort of strategy like a while ago. I think it was called tightening the noose where like that—that that is basically what it is. Like you're just slowly cutting off their their reactionary options right so like in the blue white control example where it's like all right i'm gonna make it so you can't cast seal away right now i'm gonna make it so you can't cast settle in a way that you would want to right now
1: right and and modern aggressive cards are really good at doing that like look at things like heart of kieran which is only a creature sometimes and things like scrap heap scrounger which will basically come back in perpetuity something like walking ballista which, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about Walking Ballista for all the praise we've heaped upon it, the fact that it can just sit on board and not attack and accumulate counters is extremely powerful against the control decks of this format. That's a very, very winning line. You never expose it to seal away. You never expose it to settle the wreckage. Basically just demand a cast out or an artifact removal spell, a post artifact removal spell. It's a really effective use of your Walking Ballistas in those matchups.
0: Yep. The article I wrote is called The Only Skill That Matters, if you want to Google that.
1: I love, the, I love the hyperbole. The only skill.
0: Well, it's it's part of a larger thing where the end result is like everything ties into Who's the Beatdown, basically.
1: Yeah. A seminal piece of magic writing. You should Google that as well if you've never read Who's the Beatdown. Shout outs to Mike Flores. I know he's a fan of the show.
0: Really? Yeah. I haven't seen him in years, maybe.
1: Oh, me and me and Mike go back a long time. He he stays abreast of what I'm working on, so I know he oh, pops cool. in and checks us out every now and then.
0: No, that's awesome. Hi, Mike.
1: He also Love. loves shoutouts too. <laughs> the fact that we mentioned his name, he's going to be so excited. I already Oh, d-
0: especially shoutouts that are him.
1: Yeah, oh, he's he's giddy right now. I can I can totally hear it from across <laughs> the interwebs.
0: Awesome. Any, any other questions about this white black deck? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a sideboard plan that is cohesive against all of the different decks in the format, but it is very tough because mono red, the green decks, and even to some extent, the mirror match are so polarizing that they need their own things. Mm. Whereas in in green white tokens time, it was, it was just like, Oh, this subset of cards is good against everything.
1: I mean, this is kind of crazy. We've talked about this before and how this is something we've built out of our process via practice, I think both of us, but maybe just doing like a pure elephant build might kind of yield a few answers for you and might, you know, bring up some unexpected things that you can find new configurations in your main deck, perhaps that allow you to get to all these different decks that you're going, you're trying to get to. Because I know what you're saying. There's a configuration in the colors of black, white, which you would be pretty happy to play against every single deck in the format, but it requires a lot of cards. And, you know, maybe actually building out those different configurations might get you there.
0: Yeah, I basically did that before red was super popular and green was super popular. So it's like, oh, I have some stuff for each. And that was basically like the sideboard guide that I posted on the Patreon last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think that is like wildly outdated. So
1: crazy how quick things change. I mean, what did you post that three days ago?
0: I might have posted on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not sure.
1: But yeah, Okay. still mean, things move fast now. Magic is at an incredibly accelerated pace from where it used to be.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, do we, do we have a question or do you have any questions uh, for for this before we handle that?
1: No, I, I think that's going to wrap up my line of black-white questioning. You've certainly done a really good job uh, giving me a lot to think about. You know, Like I said, I had dabbled in this deck, not as much as you. Um, and I, I think I kind of missed the point a little bit, to be honest with you. I think I was treating it like a more aggressive deck. So I'm excited to go back and play some games under this new lens, this new way of thinking about the archetype. Uh, nice. And see kind of results that leads to. Uh, as far as questions from the Patreon this week, a lot of really good questions, but I wanted to go with one from Liam. And this kind of calls back to an article that Tommy Ashton wrote this week. Yeah. Um, a really great article that I really enjoyed, he, where he kind of drew some parallels between Westworld. If you haven't seen that show, go watch it. I really like it. The way different magic players think about deck building. And one of the magic players he talked about in his article was you,
0: yeah i was I was kind of weirded out by that because, like I didn't know where it was gonna go, but like the article was so good,
1: yeah, it was really good and, and I, I
0: I felt like he just like saw into my soul
1: right, and I think Liam is kind of calling out this article a little bit. I don't know if he's familiar with the article, but it, it's along those same lines. he asks. What are some signature Jerry or some signature Brian deck building isms, something you always do that nobody else does? I mean, first, why don't you say how Tommy analyzed your deck building and let us know if you think he was spot on. Like, did he analyze you successfully as a deck builder?
0: Uh, So he went through some of my old decks and just continually pinpointed that I had a lot of one mana interaction all over the place so i mean he, he wasn't wrong like that is a, a very typical thing for me to do like i generally streamline my decks remove all the expensive like stupid sorceries and for better or for worse i will just end up with a, a bunch of like lightning bolts or righteous blows or inquisition of Kozalex. like summons uh, yeah dude on summon i mean mm. that card that card stinks
1: you love that card i
0: I keep thinking it's gonna be good i keep thinking it's gonna be good it's just it's not when you have to play 25 lands you know it's like half a card it's good it's good in merfolk and the blue skies decks currently
1: right right low land count decks
0: but yeah i just always trend towards those sorts of things and there are a few reasons one is that like i don't like getting beat up by like the random magic online aggressive decks and Mm -hmm. You know, you you say, I say like Magic Online aggressive decks, but it's like those decks are showing up in real life too. Like, you know how many like Mono Red Goblin decks I had to beat in the finals of Opens with Cobblade? But it's like I had four timely reinforcements in my 75 and there's a reason for that. Like, I respect the little guy, you know? Just like the the 10 cent aggro deck. Like, I am not going to lose to that deck and I think I can make my decks good against those things in not a way that's free, but cost me very little. To that extent, I think... Deck building and sideboarding with like a range, like against ranges of things, I think is very helpful because you end up with a lot of overlap in certain matchups, even if you don't necessarily have like a lot of hammers in specific matchups.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And and I see that a lot in your sideboarding, really broad cards that you're able to find uses for in multiple matchups and sometimes unconventional uses. When I see your sideboard plans, I'm often like, oh, I wouldn't have thought to use that card here. But I think you're good at extracting value um, across multiple matchups from your sideboard cards.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll often end up with like a lot of Kolagons commands and very few Shatterstorms, you know, that sort of thing.
1: So if I were to answer this question on my end, I think one of the things that I've been historically successful with when it comes to deck building is analyzing the best thing to do in a format and just pushing that as hard as it can possibly go. And you know, that's kind of like that's what all deck building is, right? Like that's your goal, but I I take it to a more dramatic place than a lot of people. For instance, I can go back to return to Ravnica standard and week 1 recognizing that like oh, Angel of Sanctions is just the best possible thing you could be doing, and just pushing that card as hard as I possibly could with mana dorks and unburial rites and four copies of the card, at a lot of times when people were playing Gristlebrand as a reanimation target instead, because I thought that card was better, um, not yeah. realizing that the inevitability that Angel of Sanctions granted you was just the place to go. Um, yeah, you know Serenity. Yeah, Angel of Serenity, I'm sorry. Too many, uh, too many exiling angels out there. Oh, yeah. Another instance of something similar was like I can point back to an early pro tour where we identified reanimating Iona very early in, early in the game was the best thing you could do. And we found ways to do that on turn one. And that's where our our focus lied for that tournament. Survival of the Fittest, going back to old Legacy, Survival of the Fittest Mirrors where all Legacy was about. And I found the Necrotic Ooze deck, which kind of propagated around all of Magic and eventually, I, I think, played the main part in getting survival of the fittest band. But you know the best thing to do was survival of the fittest. Necrotic ooze was the best way to do it. It gave you a lot of advantages and a bunch of matchups. So I, I really try and focus in on that one thing and the one thing that kind of sidesteps the format or just can completely operate on another power level than everything else if everything goes its way. And I try and find a way to get things going that interactions way you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of you're this fine, like surgeon with a scalpel and looking to make these intricate decks and getting your small amounts of value. And I'm like, no, it's hammer time. This is the best thing. And we're jamming four copies of it and maximizing how many times we're going to draw it. And that's what our game's all about.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny because if I were to romanticize my deck building, I, I would basically say kind of verbatim what you said, where it's like, Oh, you know, like I'm fine tuning this deck and I'm going to like, scalpel everyone apart or whatever but i i don't know it's weird because like tommy used that whole setup as like oh like oh this is how this person has found success right Mm -hmm. and to some degree it's true but also like i'm just like kind of embarrassed by it too because i know that it's just kind of like this inherent weakness where i almost always like gravitate towards that end
1: Right. Well, I I mean, any strength when taken to an extreme is always going to be a weakness. Like that's the way strategic gaming works is that if you emphasize one aspect too much, it's always going to be a a failing somewhere else. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind too. When you're analyzing this in your own deck building, you can certainly think, what do I do too much of? Like, what am I really proud of that I'm you know, really cutting myself off from other options by emphasizing it to such a degree. I'm talking about the hammer. So that means I'm less willing to pick up things which require this kind of intricate knowledge of the format. And I'm just like, no, let's just make it easy. I just want to win on turn four or whatever. You know, Karn is a great example of such a card where you're like, I'm going to find this well-crafted Mardu Pyromancer list, and I'm going to win every single game for the entire tournament on one life. Yeah. and i go i'm just going to make cards on turn 3 and hope that's good enough <laughs> so
0: you can see how yeah, both so sides
1: I, of the equation are kind of problematic
0: dude what i hate is that like just drawing your opening hand and having no options
1: like and that's that's part of the reason why you play a cheap interaction as well right like one matter removal and one matter inter- interaction gives you way more options
0: yeah, I, I want to be able to spend my mana to do things. I don't want to draw an opening hand with seven copies of Karn Liberated and just be like, well, I know what my plan is for the next seven. Because like, you don't have any choices. That is what you're doing. Like, I don't know. It just, it bugs me.
1: Your choices come at other points though. It's like to say you have no choices is unfair. Like there are, Absolutely, choices to be made in that, and most games you play of Magic, whether it's a deck like Mono Red or Tron or Dredge,
0: but a computer program could likely play Mono Green Tron, right? Like you could program it to figure out the the highest EV way to like get Tron on turn three, and then you start interacting with your opponent.
1: You could get closer. You You could get closer with a deck like Tron than you could a deck like Bardu Pyromancer, without a doubt. Right, and. But you're exactly right where if you went too far down this path, it's probably a flaw, right? And I think it's good to just recognize it, take stock of it, and be willing to pull back. Because it's not like, you know, I won't pick up a deck like Delver, which I played to death. You know what I mean? And it's not like you won't pick up a deck like Niv Magus Elemental, which is very much this hammer. Like, I better win on turn two because if they play Liliana, I can't win the game ever. So you have to have both sides to your... Your deck building equation. And I think you do. I think you're being unfairly harsh of yourself to say that you only pick up the scalpel to the same way I'm being unfairly harsh to say I only pick up the hammer. It's it's just like, that's what we're known for though, I think more than yeah. saying that's our that's our only option.
0: Nope, absolutely. And I don't know, I'm sitting here also kind of working on this white black sideboard and I'm like, ooh, fragmentized, duress, fatal push. I love all these cards. I wonder why.
1: <laughs> all the one meta spells. Huh? Interesting. That's game.